Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thanks for joining us for week one of a three-week series we've titled Beloved, as we learn about the unconditional love that God has for us. In response to His love, we are called to share His affection with the world around us. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're just visiting with us, so glad that you are here just to study God's word and to worship with us. I did want to say um, a greeting from Pastor Doug and Janet. Um, he, he sent me multiple texts actually throughout the week to say, please tell the church we love them. And they thank you for praying for them. This past week, if you didn't know, Janet's dad passed away. It was a very kind of unexpected. I mean, he was a little older, but it was very quick and sudden. And so they are down in Southern California being with family. And her mom is down there and her siblings are down there. Um, so thank you for praying for them. But we do rejoice that her dad is with Jesus. He's whole. He's experiencing the fullness of life. And he is healthy face-to-face with his creator. And I think maybe at some point, uh, Mary and I will probably be going down this week to spend time with them for the memorial service. So thank you for praying. I know the other thing um, Doug has let me know, just in the season of, we're in a season of transition here at the church, if you were unaware. And he stated, he's like, I just want to be with our church as much as possible in this season. He's like, he knows time is going to go by fast. And he just loves you all very much. He literally, he is an amazing pastor and shepherd and he cares for each one of you. And he wants to be here, but, but life happens. And uh, it happens to all of us where we want to do something. We, we have a desire in our hearts, but the Lord has other things. And so he's with his first ministry, caring for his wife and, and his family. Amen. And we're grateful that he is at, um, doing that and caring for them. But please keep them in their prayers. And again, um, we're actually grieving with many families in our church just in the, in the last couple of months, but even recently, um, our hearts are with you. If, if you're here and you've lost someone or you just going through something, um, know that we're praying for you. And if you're watching online, I know there's a lot of people watching online and we're just, we're praying for you. It's just a heavy season. I was telling our, we had a night of prayer last night and my wife just recently got reconnected to the prayer chain because I'm sure if, if it's not a foreign issue, but sometimes you get dropped from it and then it's like, oh, I haven't been receiving prayer requests. Well, she just got reconnected re, um, and there's been a couple times this week that I've come home and she's just been in tears and just reading and praying through just the heavy burdens that a lot of you are carrying. And so um, we know that there's a, a heaviness and there is a burden, but we know that God is faithful and he's good and he's present. He's that ever-present help in a time of trouble. Amen? So um, I was thinking about this last night on my way home. And I kind of had it suggested in my notes to talk to you this morning on kind of how I landed where we're going to be at today in, in the Bible and scripture. Um, I promise you, I'm not going to always every week give you like a, why did Ryan teach this passage? But um, when I'm doing kind of standalone messages, we're not just going uh, kind of through a book of the Bible, like Pastor Doug would be, like on Sunday mornings, and Lord willing, maybe next Sunday we'll continue our study through the book of Jude, because he started that, and it was amazing. I'm like, I want more. Um, but when I'm doing standalone messages, I'm always interested on how guest speakers or other pastors, how did you land at teaching that 
topic or that passage today. Maybe I'm unique in that. Maybe you are interested. So I'm going to share a little bit just briefly. Um, This morning, I'm going to share about the love of God. My wife for Christmas this year bought me um, a retreat kind of package. It's a one-night retreat package just so I can get away and just hear from the Lord. And uh, I did just that. I... um, went to a, a retreat center just by myself, which was really foreign. It was really quiet. It was more kind of a silent thing. And um, someone gave me a book that I read. And, and the, the idea of the, or the concept of the book was surrendering to love, surrendering to the love of God. And, um, and I'm going to share a little bit more personally about that, but just kind of re-coming to terms with how much God loves me and loves you. And um, so when, when the opportunity, when Doug says, texted me on Wednesday and says, hey, um, we are going to drive to California, You'll, you, you need to share on Sunday, I, I immediately began just to pray, all right, Lord, what is it that you would want me to share? And um, so I was thinking, I was walking the building a lot on Thursday, every, all the staff members were like, what is he doing? I'm just like pacing around, just, but I'm just like praying. I just want to, I don't want to, uh, just a message, you know, I've always heard it said, a message from the mind touches the mind, but a message from the heart touches the heart. And like, Lord, I want this to be from your heart to my heart, to their heart. And um, so I've been thinking about the love of God just personally for me. And then Thursday night, and I, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I love it when the Mormons come to my house. And so they came on Monday <laughs> and we had company over. And so I scheduled them to come back Thursday night and they sat in my living room with me. I'm sorry, I'm kind of weird. They sat in my living room with me on Thursday night, and they're like, hey, Ryan, and they know I'm a pastor. I think I'm on their hit list, and they're just, they're, they're just like always there. But um, they're like, we want to share with you about the love of God. And I'm like, interesting. And he's like, um, yeah, there's this passage in, in 1 John chapter 4. I'm like, really? Because I've been actually thinking about 1 John chapter 4 you know, all day. So they kind of shared their little five-minute spiel on, on the love of God, and, um, and then in turn, I got to kind of rehearse this sermon, and uh, I actually got to highlight the true love of God. Because they, they think God is loving, and, and God is love, perhaps, and, they're, and it's very, if you talk with the Mormons or the Mormon missionaries, it's, it can be very misleading, because a lot of their terminology sounds very evangelical, very Christian, and, um, but they miss Jesus altogether, and they miss really the heart of God. So I got to share, I'm like, well, I'm, crazy that you want to share with me about the love of God. Let's continue to talk, and then we get into grace, and I'm not going to get into that. And, um, but I'm like, after that, I'm like, Lord, I think that was just confirmation that you would have me speak on the love of God. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do just that. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. I promise it was the leading of the Spirit leading me here, not the Mormons, so. <laughs> Verse John chapter 4. I just think it's kind of interesting how God works sometimes, and, and His timing is never a coincidence. First John, would you stand with me, actually? Sorry, you just sat down. I just want to, for the reading of God's Word, I'm actually going to churn in my Bible there and meet you there. First John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You may be seated. We are jumping into the middle of a letter written by the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus for three years. He was quite young at the time, and we know that John wrote a lot about himself in the Gospel of John, about being the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was there with Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. He spoke to Jesus face-to-face after the resurrection of Jesus, and then he spent roughly, I mean, 50-plus years living and teaching the way of Jesus. And here he writes this letter. He's most likely a a pretty old man at this point in his life. And he he writes this letter to some young Christians who he calls in in this letter, little children. And that's not to diss on them or to just pick on them. No, it's just an endearing um, sentiment. And many people think that this was more than a letter. It was more like a sermon that was to be shared and read by the churches in that area. And whether that area be Ephesus, that's a lot, what a lot of people think, or a different region. Again, we're not told specifically. But John is writing to these, I, I like to call them home groups or house churches, to address a few important topics that are on his heart. And in chapter one, he states his purpose in writing them. He says in verse four, these things we write so that our joy may be complete. And in chapter 2, he writes to warn um, about habitual sin. And then uh, at the very end of chapter 2, he starts addressing the false teachers. In verse 26, he says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And then in chapter 5, he writes to assure them of their salvation in verse 13. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he's writing to these churches to combat, I believe, some horrible teachings, some bad practices that had infiltrated the church. And this morning, we don't have time to go into great lengths of all of the details, but the greatest threat to their church wasn't persecution. It wasn't people from the outside of the church trying to get in there and distort the message and the purity of the gospel, but rather their greatest danger was from within, from people within the church, departing from the truth. Jesus himself warned that this could happen or would happen in Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. This was going to happen. The apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So the warnings have been there. This was going to happen. And what had happened here in this church is Gnosticism had infiltrated the church. And because of it, many of the believers are shaken. They're confused about what to believe. Earlier in this chapter, just a few verses earlier, He exhorts them to not believe just anyone who says, hey, I have a word from the Lord. And Pastor Doug actually spoke on that last week in Jude. 
Hey, just don't believe if someone comes to you and says, hey, I have this new revelation and this new thing, and it doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus, don't believe it. So he exhorts them. He says, don't. He says, many false prophets have gone in the world. So, so test them. And again, John is just writing to reassure them of their faith, the fundamentals of their faith, their faith in Jesus and his love for them. And this book, one of the major themes of this book is love. And the Bible talks about love all throughout, and I love it, no pun intended. <laughs> but this little letter of 1 John talks about it the most, and specifically here in this section. And it's not just a command to love or an appeal to love, but a grounding of what that means and how it's even possible. So before we dive in to, to verse 7 of, of chapter 4, I want to ask and hopefully answer the question first, what is love? True love. Now, this isn't, maybe it's, I, we don't believe in coincidences, but, you know, next week I think is Valentine's. I think, is that next Monday? I could be wrong. The world has their own interpretation of what love is. And generally, it's about like buying a greeting card and expensive dinner and roses and stuff like that. Like, this is love. And not that those things are bad, but what is love? True love. The New Testament was written in the first century in a world that was dominated by Greek thinking and Greek culture. And in the Greek language, which this letter was written in, they had four different words for love. And many of you are Bible students here today. You already know this, but I believe we need to hear this once again. Because in our English language, we use one word to describe a variety of things, don't we? Think about it. In English, we use, or I can use, the same word to describe the feelings that I have for my wife and how I feel about chicken wings. It's the same word. You know what that word is? Love. Super Bowl Sunday is a coming and there will be chicken wings. I love it. But the Greeks had four different words to describe different types of love. The first was storge. And this was a family love. It's the, the love between a mother and her child. And it's a natural love. That's storge. And then you have phileo. This is a friendly love. It's a love that you choose with another. And then you have eros, and that's a romantic love or a sexual love. But then you have agape, and this is an unconditional, self-giving love from God. And it's that type of love, agape love, that John is referring to over and over again in this passage. So I want us to understand what this means, agape. Again, it's unconditional love. Now, that might sound foreign to most of us because our love, a lot of times, has conditions. I will love you if you love me in return. Or I will love you as long as you don't change. <laughs> I love you when it's reciprocated how I need it and want it. You see, we often talk about love in a way where it's really convenient. Oh, I'll, I'll love you when it's good for me or when I get something out of it. Does that kind of sound familiar? But listen, agape love is not convenient, it's covenantial. 
It's not convenient. It's a love that binds itself to, to the other no matter what. It's a love that sticks around when everything changes. It's a love that stands up when everyone else bells. And agape is not only unconditional, it's self-giving love. It's the type of love that is passionately committed to the well-being of the other, even when and especially when it means that I have to sacrifice my own well-being. And this is very different, again, from the way that we, you and I, use love in our culture because we primarily define love as a feeling. Actually, if you look it up, love in the dictionary defines it this way. It's an an intense feeling of deep affection. Again, it's marked by the intensity more than what it is. But listen, here's the danger for us, because if you define love as a good feeling, it can easily be confused with selfishness. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say that you are single, Maybe some of you this morning are single, or maybe you can think back, and and you find yourself at that period of time in your life, you're single, and you find yourself really attracted to someone, and you just have this good feeling, you have that fuzzy feeling inside, and you're just looking for a way to express that feeling, and so you use the word, man, I love you. You're like, first date, scary. (laughs) But you just have this feeling, you wanna express it. But what is really going on there, what you really like and what you really care about is that feeling. The feeling that you have, even more than the other person. You don't know the other person. You just bought them roses one day and they look pretty in your eyes. But that's the importance of why we need to recognize the difference between lust and love because lust is using another person for your own good. Love is actually giving yourself for another's good. Let me repeat that one more time. Lust is using another person for your own good, but love is actually giving yourself for another's good. Someone once said, I was reading some commentaries this week, and they said the opposite of love isn't hate. It's narcissism. I was like, whoa, that caught my attention. It's selfishness. If real love is self-giving, then the opposite of that would be what? Self-seeking. And so this agape love is unconditional, it's self-giving, and it's ultimately from God, and we're going to find out more later about that, but it's a divine love. And so that's what love is, this unconditional, self-giving love that comes from above. But again, John isn't writing an essay about love here. He's not just giving us a good definition for us, but this is a personal letter from him to a church that needs reminding At some point, someone most likely has come into the church preaching a false idea of Jesus and with it a misunderstanding of his love. And in verse 7, look at with me in chapter 4, he starts out by saying, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not A love does not know God, for God is love. I love this. John calls them beloved. He says, beloved, love one another. That word beloved means dearly loved. And in the Greek, it's literally translated as those who are loved, let us love. I really like that. 
And it's out of that place of being love that John says in light of that and and being the dearly loved children of God, he says, then let us love one another. And we're going to talk more about that later. But here's the problem. Just like the church that John is writing to in the first century, I believe that we too can find ourselves hearing and believing the subtle lies of the enemy that restrict us from simply receiving God's unconditional love. And those lies can be anything. I'm not good enough. I've blown it too many times. God is disappointed with me. And the list could go on and on and on. Listen, this is just, in in John chapter 4, or 1 John chapter 4, this is just one generation into the beginning of the church. And they're already struggling with questions like this. Does God really love us? Does God really love me? If God knew the truth about me, would he still want me? One generation into the church. How many of you over the years in your walk with with Jesus have wrestled with that question? Does God really love me? Be honest. And the scariest part of questioning the love of God in our lives is that it can be so subtle. So very subtle. We can get into thinking of, well, if I just clean up this area of my life, then God will love me. And it's subtle. If I just continue to go church and, 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 you know, throw a few dollars in the offering box, then God and I will be fine. He'll be happy with me. If I just try harder at reading my Bible more or praying more, then God will take care of me. And we, we base our thinking of God and his love for us on contingents. And so again, we do things in our lives to get God to keep loving us, to stay close to us, to not abandon us. And so we perform and we perform and we perform. And because we don't always remember and know the true love of God and the amazing character of God, we live, and maybe I shouldn't put you in that situation, but I live our lives or my life in fear of thinking that somehow we can lose his love. John will go on to say in the same chapter in verse 18 that perfect love casts out all fear. We've, we've heard that. Perfect love casts out all fear. Agape love, this unconditional love casts out all fear. Listen, God doesn't motivate with fear. I want you to know that. He's not waiting for you to slip up and have a bad day and say, aha, I knew it, you weren't worthy of my love. Why? Why doesn't he do that? Because that would breed fear. But the more, listen, the more you and I get to know the, the heart of God, the more we get to know that love is greater than fear. Again, God does not motivate with fear. He doesn't manipulate with shame. Rather, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians that it's the love of Christ that compels, that controls us. It's the love of Christ. I was sharing with Pastor Doug recently after I got back from this retreat that I took by, by myself. And I was just, he was just like, hey, what's the Lord, what did the Lord speak to you, minister to you? And I was just sharing with him, just very honestly, I hope that if you, you have those people in your life that you can share honestly, right? You can just let your guard down. You don't have to be perfect for, for 30, 40 minutes. You can just share your, the good, the bad, the ugly of your life. I hope you have that. And so Pastor Doug was just, what's the Lord doing? And so I got to share with him. I said, Doug, I didn't realize how easily and how subtly I could forget the true love of God for me. 
And then I allow fear to control my life, like somehow I could lose his love. Fear into thinking that I could do something or not do something that would cause God to maybe love me less or his uh, opinion on me might change. I'm just being honest. And it's scary, again, how suddenly this could happen to any of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us, though, can be or are currently driven by fear? Fear is one of, in our culture, it's, it's the motivating factor for a lot of things that we see in our culture. And we've seen that in the last two and a half years or two years, just completely on display. But maybe it's the fear of failure. And what drives you and motivates you throughout the day is just simply justifying yourself over and over again. I'm somebody, I really am. I'm, I'm not a failure. I'm productive. Everyone needs me. My life matters. And again, it's driven by a fear of failure. For me personally, I've realized again, even lately, how much fear that I've lived with over the years. And I didn't even realize it. Fear of rejection. And I'm not sure where that comes from. I had amazing parents, a great, you know, decent life but I've lived with the fear of being misunderstood, being misinterpreted. And so I personally work tirelessly to craft my words like perfectly before I send the text or send the email or have the conversation. Why? Because I don't, I live under the fear of being misunderstood and therefore I might get rejected if they do. They misunderstand me. Others of you might be driven by a fear of being alone you think of being alone, you're like, that is the worst thing that I could ever imagine. And so you work effortlessly and tirelessly to, to put yourself out there, to be vulnerable because you're afraid of being alone. Maybe others of you are driven by a fear of being found out. That You have things in your lives that are hidden that no one else knows about and you work so hard to build this image or to protect this image, to protect our reputation of what people might think of us. Or, or, or what they think of our filtered lives that we put out on social media. Or the way that we carry ourselves, even in the, the sanctuary of a church. But we're driven by fear of being found out. But with God, listen, with God, we're not driven by fear. We're driven by love. And that's exactly why this passage begins with God's people being called the beloved. Two times in this passage... And many times throughout this letter, he calls them beloved. And I love that. And that's because God doesn't call us to love without first reminding us of how much we are loved. But we try so hard to build our identities through our work, through our friends, through our accomplishments, but when it comes to identity, there is nothing more foundational than this, that when God speaks to you and about you, he calls you his beloved. And I don't care what names or titles that people might put on you, you might even put on yourself. It is not your worst failures or even your greatest successes that define you. It's that you are personally loved by the creator of the universe. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe that simple and yet profound truth that God could ever love you. You might've started to believe that God was tired of chasing after you. Listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. It, could be, it couldn't be farther from the truth. God loves you. You are 
dearly loved of God. You might be like, how? How can he truly love me? Look at the last line in verse eight. It says, for God is love. He is love. It doesn't say that love is God or God is good at loving, but rather God is love. The very character and nature of his being is love. It's who he is. And the good news this morning is that he didn't just tell us that he loved us because in our culture, words are cheap. It's like, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. But he himself modeled his love for us. And John uses it as the greatest of examples of the love of God for us. Look at verse 9. He says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that he sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how does God love us? How does he love you? How does he prove his love for you? John says, by giving himself by giving his only begotten son to die on the cross for you in your place. Paul would write in, in Romans 5, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps the good man, some, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, God has proven his love for you by giving his son to die for you. Do you believe that this morning? And he gave him to die for you, not after you became the little good Sunday school girl or boy. It was not after your church attendance was just spectacular. It was not after, you know, you've just achieved so much and you don't sin nearly as much. No, God loved you. He loved me when we were yet sinners, when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great, what is it? Love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, we weren't cute. I hope that doesn't offend you this morning. We weren't lovely. I'm sorry. We brought nothing of value to the table when God came into the orphanage and saved us and adopted us into his family. We, the Bible says, were actually his enemies. But because God loved us, he sent Jesus to reconcile us back to him. And you and I this morning, we are recipients of his grace. We are saved solely by his grace. One of the famous passages and, and, and verses in all of the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Someone once said, 
that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Jesus did it all for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus was the one. He left his eternal glory in heaven. He was born into the world as a man so that he can die for mankind by making himself the offering for our, for our sin. So God is love, and this is his demonstration of love. This is his model for love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 31, he says this, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. None of us can stand here today. I don't care how good you look on the outside. I don't care how much you have fooled us on the outside. No one can stand here to say and say today, you know, the Lord really scored the day that he picked me on his team. <laughs> he really got a good one. <laughs> Captain over here. Let me take charge for you, Jesus. No, no, God didn't send Jesus to die for the world because the world was so worthy and deserving. I hope you know that. It wasn't our goodness that motivated God to say, yeah, we should pick him. He's doing really good. No, it wasn't our righteousness that was the motivating factor that moved the heart of God. God was moved by his own love for us. And John say again in verse 10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Guys, this is amazing, isn't it? God saw us at our worst state and he loved us there. He didn't say, and this is, this is the, conver the conversation with the Mormons this week. I said, define God's, God's love for you. Define his grace for you. And he says, you know, I kind of think of it like this. I, I think of, you know, God's at the top of the uh, a rock climbing wall. And, and, you know, we're getting ready to strap on and we do a little bit and then he does a little bit. And then we do a little bit. And this is his analogy. I'm like, this is perfect. Lord, thank you. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, or <laughs> there's another opinion. What if God got off the top of his rock climbing wall and came down and said, you know what? You get on top of me. I'm doing the work for you. Zero effort on our behalf. Just the mere recipients of his grace. And they looked at me like, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> said, maybe you should go home and think about it. <laughs> Listen, we couldn't rescue ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't transform ourselves. And so God came in the person of Jesus to do that so that we might be saved. He says again, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. What John is saying is that if we want to know true love, look at Jesus. Real love, this agape love is not defined by our love for God, but by his perfect love for us. And here's the important part of that verse, because if you ever flip the order of those statements, everything falls apart. If you say he loves us because we first loved him, then you lose the meaning of everything. The gospel is no longer the gospel. It's no longer the good news about God. Listen, his love is not a response to our love for him. You cannot make God love you any more or less. It's been said that Christianity is the testimony of God's love for man, not man's love for God. And aren't you grateful for that? 
Aren't you happy about that? Does that not comfort you? Let me read that. Christianity is the testimony of God's love for man, not man's love for God. Think about it this way. What if God loved you as much as you loved him? Uh-oh. We would be hurting most days, wouldn't we? But he doesn't. And then he says, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation simply means that he was the sacrifice. He was the atoning sacrifice that appeased or satisfied the wrath of God. His love didn't brush away or sweep aside our sins, you know, sins, sweep it under the rug or put it in that kind of junk drawer closet and just shut the door. No, no, no. His love moved God to send his own son who bore the penalty that we rightly deserved. But here's the important part is you need to know this. Love doesn't take away your sins. Jesus's work on the cross alone takes away your sins. It's not love and love. It's not even, yeah, it's not love that does it. It's Jesus's work on the cross alone. But listen, love was the motivating factor that moved the heart of God to send Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice. And then he says, in light of all of that, knowing how loved you are by the creator of the universe, and that you and I did nothing to earn it, to deserve it, we can't send it away. We're just dearly loved of God. He says, beloved, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I intentionally haven't addressed this call to love others yet. And believe me, it's been on purpose. Because it's so easy, again, for me to get up here to tell you, church, you need to love God more. Church, you need to love others more. And those are not bad things. Those are actually good things. I prayed them for you. I prayed them for myself. But my heart this morning with this message before ever calling you to consider how, that, how you're loving others around you is to first, 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 be reminded and receive the amazing love that God has for you. Not just for them, not just for the whole world, not just for, for, for him or for her, but for you. He loves you. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or 50 days, you're like, someone dragged me to the church today and I'm not a Christian. Listen, God loves you. Not for what he can get out of you, not for what you can do for him. He simply loves you because he is love. And once again, in the short little text of ours this morning, John calls them again. He says, beloved, one more time, beloved, dearly loved of the Lord. Let's read it one more time. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Having received this amazing love from God, he says that we are then commanded and called to love one another with the same kind of love that we have received. That agape self-giving, unconditional love that comes from above. The evidence, listen, the evidence that we are truly, that we have truly received God's love for us, have experienced God's love for us, is how we love others. That is the evidence of receiving 
God's love is how we love others. John said in verse, said in verse eight, and again, we just glossed over this earlier, but he says this, the one who does not love does not know God. Again, the evidence that we have truly received God's love, experienced God's love, is how we in turn love those around us. And the more we know how much we're loved by God, I believe the more we will grow in our love for others. But listen, we can never truly love others in this way, unconditionally, the self-giving love apart from receiving God's unconditional love first. And John will go on to say later on in this chapter that we love, why? Because he first loved us. And it has to remain in that order. Today, we're gonna celebrate this love and remember it all the more by partaking and receiving communion. The very thing that we've been talking about all morning, the greatest demonstration of agape love is this, the sacrifice of Jesus. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Again, motivated by love. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for our sins. But the good news is that Jesus shed his blood for us. Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.